sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand warning the following program may contain traces of irony sarcasm satire parody mockery banter caricature and nuts the opinions expressed are almost certainly not shared by self-appointed officials dictatorial wowsers if you are dangerously irony deficient or allergic to mockery of the self-important and corrupt then get a life that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's time for another episode of the Environmental as Anything podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Sean O'Shaughnessy. Forward to speaking to Sandy Greenwood, who is a, a, a Gumbungir woman, uh, a custodian of that uh, precious country down on the mid north coast uh, where there has been so much uh, effort and time put into protecting their sacred sites and their uh, the ecological integrity of their forests down there and with some success uh, recently with the uh, court cases which have uh, uh, managed to protect those uh, areas that temporarily anyway we want to talk to sandy about what has been going on there in Gumbungir country and uh, what she hopes to see happen in the future. I'll also be talking to Dylan Pugh about uh, that. He's obviously uh, one of our local uh, experts on uh, issues to do with forests and he's um, he's been speaking out on the uh, decision to protect the uh, koala hubs there in the in the uh, Great Koala National Park. And so I'll get Dylan on the phone to uh to talk us through some of those uh issues as well and then to wrap up this uh jam-packed forest related episode i'm going to be speaking to fiona york from gecko the goongra environment center who are celebrating their 30th anniversary and an end to native forest logging in victoria say that our, our anticipated guest is with us. Sandy Greenwood is a, a Gumbungir woman and a custodian for her country and has been one of the, the staunch, part of that staunch community uh, of resistance to the destruction of the forests of the mid-north coast uh, for, well, for a long time now. And uh, she's, uh, she's joining Environmentalist Anything today to share with us uh, the story of that resistance and uh, give us an update on how it's going. So, Sandy, thank you for joining Environmentalist Anything today. Oh, thank you, Sean. Again, again, thanks for having me on your show. No, no, we, we really, uh, it's great to have uh, voices from uh, as far away as you are that, uh, that are still close to our hearts. Uh, you know, that country is very close to my heart, having been a resident of uh, the Kalang Valley for some time, some years ago. And, uh, and uh, you know, but it's, a, it's one of the most beautiful and precious places. And, of course, it's important to all Australians as the proposed uh, Great Koala National Park. So I understand there's been quite a struggle over the last, well, the last year or more to, uh, to protect Newry Forest and also the headwaters of the Kalang. Can you tell us a bit about, uh, you know, what's been going on there with the, uh, the, 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 the Gumbungir people and the, their resistance to this, uh, uh, this logging? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, it's been, um, yeah, it's a very a collective staunch resistance between 
Umbanga mob and allies, um, activists uh, living in the area. We've come together. It's a beautiful alliance, um, working together to protect our sacred homeland. Mm. Um, Newry State Forest was subject to the um, like in 2021 in the the community came together and we um, blockaded in the New State Forest and formed a protest camp and uh, for nine months, which was um, incredible amount of time and commitment and energy, mm. and we we're, were managed to kind of um, ward them off the forest, the, the loggers, um, and then we had some time away focusing on other things, and then we got the call that New State Forest was about to be moved in. Two, two months ago in um, a different compartment of the forest and again we, we formed another protest camp um, and yeah, just, we just packed up that camp and we were there for seven weeks hmm. and we lit the sacred fire and had an incredible community of people come together and yeah, it was uh, we had some ups and downs obviously it was we did witness many trucks come in and desecrate the forest, black logs and heritage, our animal kin. Um, we had some, you know, incredible warriors walking onto machinery. We had our elders, um, you know, strong and resistant. Um, and in the end, we we won. We got them out. We <laughs> took them to court, and we stopped the logging. So it's only a temporary reprieve until we have our hearing in November. Um, but it is. It does give us hope that this power of the people, you know, the power of, you know, litigation mm. um, and the power of, you know, allies working with more, like our collective resources and our talents and our energy combined is a force to be reckoned with. Mm. Mm. So now we've gone up to the Kalang, we've set up camp in the beautiful Kalang and, um, yeah, we're going to keep protesting and, and fighting to protect our sacred homeland. Yeah. I'd like to, uh, you know, inquire, if I may, about, you know, the, the, the particular significance of this. Um, obviously, the cultural significance mm. is very deep and, uh, you yeah. know, there may be issues that you can't discuss with me, but whatever you can, you can share with us about that, uh, that, that, you know, this, the cultural significance to the Gumbanyir people uh, of, of yeah. those forests. Sure. So, um, it is deep to Gumbanyir country, you see, it's just, it's rainforests and waterfalls and mountains and, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful country and all of the country, in the forest, all have a deep cultural landscape that signify our burning stories, our song lines, our very essence and identity of from Banda people. And as Banda custodians, we have an inherent responsibility to protect country like our ancestors have, have done for, you know, since the time creation time. The Union State Forest in particular is sacred men's area. It was a traditionally a men's initiation area where men would go to go to initiation. Mm. It's also home of the golden kangaroo, the, the Lumu. There's a beautiful mountain where the men would travel up the mountain as a part of the initiation. Sandy, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I really would like to... I want to hear what you've got to say, but the trouble is we're having trouble with your audio. Is there anything that you can do at your end to help with the, 
the quality of it, uh, your signal because I know it's, it's it can be, it's a mobile phone and it can be quite I'm difficult. I'm so sorry. That's so a, sorry, audience. Can you hear me a bit better now? That's a bit better. Thanks very much. Sorry to interrupt you because no, we do want to hear what you've got to say. <laughs> I'm in the rainforest. Yeah, so um, you can hear me better now. Yuri yeah. State Forest in particular is a, is culturally a traditional men's initiation area. Mm-hmm. So Gumbanga men would go there as a part of their initiation to go from men, boys to men. That's also, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah, it's good now. Yeah, Thanks. and it, it was also home of the golden kangaroo, the golden nungu. We call kangaroo the nungu, and then we've got the, the mountain, the golden kangaroo mountain in yeah. the nearest state forest. So that area particularly is very, very significant to Gumbanga men. Mm. And also in that forest, um, we have the microbat. And the microbat is the Gumbanga men's totem. Ah. So, I mean, and that's just you know, that's just the main kind of, in terms of ceremony, where men would go. Yeah. But, you know, there's, we have, you know, we've got our koala dreaming stories, and that forest is full of koalas. Mm. Um, we've got our dreaming tracks and our song lines that go through all that forest, that connect up with all the other forests on Gumbangia country. So, I mean, there's cultural heritage all over Gumbangia country, just like every, any other nation's land. Mm. you know, signify our cultural dreaming stories. Um, So, yeah, you know, unfortunately, um, a non-Gumbanga person who works at Forestry Corporation signed off on the Cultural Heritage Survey and said there was no cultural heritage in the the forest. (laughs) So that's kind of caused the problem where we're at today, while we had the same country, because it's teeming with cultural heritage. Mm. Yeah, that's a, a shocking story, really. That they uh, uh, that they dismiss the 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 obvious cultural heritage uh, of of the the place uh, by mm. by having somebody who's not even you know related to it, uh, you know, uh, sign off on that that way. It's it seems familiar though, because it seems to be just about what they do for for all the cultural and and ecological values of uh, of the forest. They just sort of deem them not to be there, yeah. don't they? That's correct. Yes, I don't. I, I, I think throughout the years, like they've they've changed changed clauses in the Forestry Act, where it's made it easier for them to not do things proper way. Not mm. they don't have to get a Gumbanga custodian to do the cultural heritage survey. You can just be an Aboriginal person. Mm. So I mean, that's what we. I think really that's the fight. We need to change these really restrictive legislations that don't respect don't don't respect Aboriginal culture. Mm. And cultural heritage. Mm. And how how does that affect? Uh, you know, I know that there was a. Uh, a, 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 a I mean, I, I spoke to Al Oshlak, and he's been on the show and talked to us about this. And I I was there with Al at one point, and he was saying that there some some of the elders were really quite traumatised by uh, by what was being done there, and and that the, the you know when they they spoke about their their human rights being breached they were just effectively dismissed and their sacred fire was put out and can you, can you how, how is that affecting those 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 elders and the, and the community oh look at I me and i sound calm now but i'm absolutely exhausted and, and emotionally drained because all i we have witnessed is you know complete disrespect for my elders and seen my elders in tears mm. who have been continually disrespected their whole lives and this is just a continuation of that and you know to to you know we 
to witness the fire brigade come in and extinguish our sacred fire was mm. one of the most shocking and upsetting things I've ever experienced. Mm. It's, you know, yeah, it's just, um, I, it, we were very culturally strong, rich people, you know. We, 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 we're fortunate that we've been able to retain our language and our stories and, you know, and we and we're, and we're building that. We continue to to build that um, cultural strength in our young ones. So we're proud, strong people, and to be treated like that by authority, by armed police and the fire brigade and forestry workers, is yeah, it's just the height of disrespect. Mm. And you know, all I've ever seen my whole life is my my elders, my my family, continually disrespected. You know. Mm. My mum's part of the stolen generation. You know, my family were massacred only a hundred years ago, just up the road. I mean, I could, you know, it just goes on. Mm. And then in 2023, we get, you know, armed forces and the fire brigade putting extinguishing our sacred fire and disrespecting our culture. It just, it, it's just that, uh, yeah. It, that's, yeah. It's, I don't know what to say about that, but it's just, I think that's what gives me the, the, the strength to keep fighting because I just love to my elders, you know, get that respect and that acknowledgement and, yes. and to, have, to have their voices to be heard. Yes. I'm very sorry that you've been subjected to that um, personally and uh, it's it's deeply upsetting um, for, for many of us who, who, you know, who are allies, who support you uh, and your struggle mm-hmm. to, to, you know, it's, it, it's uh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing, thank you know, you. that with Thanks, us. Sean. And I feel that support from the allies from here, Bundjalung country, you know, people from Manam coming to help. Like a, we really, And that's what gives us strength. And, you know, that's what feels, uh, it makes my, my elders happy and smile is that there is so much genuine love and support from so many allies and other malls, you know, and that fills their heart up with, with so much. And, yeah, that, that makes me happy to see them happy. Mm-hmm. So what about the future? I mean, like you've, you've mentioned, there's still a fight on with uh, uh, the Oaks, I think it is, State Forest at the headwaters of the Kalang, and so that's mm-hmm. that's clearly an urgent and immediate uh, future. But uh, how about the, the, as, the uh, uh, as well as that, perhaps uh, if I could get you to discuss the, you know, what, what the ideal future is. Is is the Great Koala National Park, uh, you know, the, the win that we're looking for, or is, the, or is there, there more than that that needs to be done? What, what, do, what do you want to see happen here? Uh, well, we ideally see um, an end to all native forest logging, yep. full stop. I don't think any native forest should be logged. Mm. Um, it's, we're not living in bygone era anymore. There's just no need for it, and it doesn't make any sense. Mm. So an end to all native forest logging, and, you know, yeah, we have, we, we're so fortunate that we have the Dungia, so, you know, the Dungia, the koala. This is the, you know, this is one of their main rich sources of habitat is here on the Gumbanga country. So we would love to see them protected and for them to thrive. And the Great Koala National Park is an incredible, you know, um, solution to protecting, you know, our iconic animal. So, you know, the government responded with, you know, saying that they will protect, you know, they'll stop logging 106 koala hubs. But, you know, let's protect all of it. You know, Mm. that's just, it's it's a small start, but it's 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 not good enough. So, yeah, we'd love to see a great koala national park, and I'd also love to see um, 
cultural heritage programs in these parks. I'd love to see our environment and our Indigenous culture um, celebrated and to be a part of, you know, uh, people to come and learn about Aboriginal Kumbanga culture and koalas and koala dreaming and the ecology of the place. Like, it'd be great for tourism, it'd be great for the economy, it'd be the solution to our beautiful animals and to our culture. Um, yeah, that's what, we're, that's what we're fighting for. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Mm-hmm. And so what can people yeah. do uh, who are listening in uh, to, to help make that a reality? Well, keep campaigning in the way, you know, I mean, letters to the Premier, letters to the Minister. Um, you can jump on the Bellingen Activist Network. They're on Facebook and Instagram. They are, That's the group that we work with. It's a historic alliance between mob and allies here on Goombanga country. And we work together and it's um, Goombanga elder-led. So if you jump on and just look for Bellingen Activist Network on Facebook or Instagram, you'll be able to follow... Um, our progress and our campaign and, um, you know, we, we were just in the nearest state forest for seven weeks and we had people from everywhere come and spend time with us. So we're, we're a very welcome opening mob. Mm-hmm. <laughs> come and have a cuppa, come and share your expertise, you know, your ideas, the strategy. Yeah, we just really work together. So we're really open to building this movement um, and having people, you know, come on board from all walks of life. Um, so yeah, I think, I think, you know, and just in getting, you know, people, listeners, they might be on other, um, sovereign countries, like foreign country or what have you, connect with the local mob and, um, you know, start having those, having those yarns, Mm. like, you know. Yes, indeed. Well, I mean, I've visited uh, the, the the camp there in the forest. I've been there a couple of times now, and and I can confirm that it was very welcoming. It was beautifully set up, and uh, you know, uh, comfortable, and and uh, uh, and felt uh, you know like warm and welcome uh, there. So um, it is a good move for people to go and actually see it for themselves. And I guess that's now in moved into Oaks State Forest. Is it, Sandy? I think we might have lost Sandy there. Hello. Oh, here we go. Ah, oh, yep. Your signal's dropping out a bit. I think. Um, we can end it. Yeah, look, I think I think we've we might have covered all of that, and the and the technology might be uh, the gremlins might be telling us it's time to move on. No, you're, you've done. Thank you so much for your uh, for your your words of wisdom and uh, you're, you're you're getting us up to speed with what's going on in that important battle down there for our forests. So, uh, thank you. strength to you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. We'll talk. We'll, we'll talk Bye. soon. Bye. That was a Sandy Greenwood, uh, basically being cut off by the gremlins there. But uh, but having said a mouthful, having said plenty uh, to uh, to inspire uh, anyone who uh, cares about uh, uh, you know our beautiful forests and the culture of our uh, First Nations people and the the future of uh, our our, our civilization to uh, to join her. Uh, at uh, the the camp down there, I think it's uh, it's in Oaks State Forest now. But uh, look at the Bellingen Activist Network, and uh, you know, get down there, have a have a meet up with those those wonderful people who are actually doing that great work. 
All right, I'm going to play uh, another track from Jarrah and uh, then after that I'm hopeful that I will be able to get back with Dylan Pugh who will be sharing with us, uh, you know, just talking us through what he thinks about the New South Wales government's uh, plan to end, uh, to stop logging the koala hubs in the proposed Great Koala National Park. Um, I think it'll be, uh, you know, it will be interesting to find out what uh, Dylan has to say about all that. We'll continue to talk forests uh, now with uh, Dylan Pugh, who is the president of the Northeast Forest Alliance and familiar uh, guest to anyone who's a regular listener to the show. Dylan has uh, uh, responded to the uh, uh, the recent decision to protect uh, the, the koala hubs within the proposed Great Koala National Park, uh, protect them from logging, and he's welcomed that as important but small step towards uh, forwards, though there is a genuine, if there is a genuine intent to save koalas from extinction, the government needs to protect all koala hubs across New South Wales and reinstate the requirement for pre-logging surveys to identify and protect all important koala habitat, according to the North East Forest Alliance. So that's uh, the media release I have in front of me. So I have Dylan on the, the, the line and I'm sure he will be able to fill us in on all the details. Dylan, thank you for joining Environmental as Anything again today. Uh, no worries. Good Sean. So the people were quite excited about the uh, this this decision, this announcement uh, to uh, protect the koala hubs within the Great Koala National Park. Seems like a no-brainer. Um, what, what, what do you think of it? Um, look, some people were happy. The trouble is, it's the most minimal thing they could do. So these koala hubs were identified in 2017, and basically what they're based upon is. Uh, uh, records of koalas over time. So where there's a cluster of records of koalas and someone's been back there at some later time and also recorded them, then that's identified as a persistent population and therefore important, or a persistent group of koala records and therefore important uh, and, and therefore um, uh, to be protected. But that was 2017. Uh, it was based on limited surveys um, and uh, uh, there's been a lot of surveys since you know a lot more about koalas than we did back then and where they occur. Um, and it was really only a partial assessment. So it only, only identifies uh, a, a small proportion of the important koala habitat. Mm. And so it's a real concern that the, uh, that's all the government intends to do is just protect this small proportion of, uh, of known areas important to koalas based upon in effect, old records and not take into account new records or, even more importantly, to look before they log. So they tend to go on logging important koala habitat that they haven't done these persistent surveys in over time and, um, and, and, and just, just log that koala habitat. Uh, they just don't care. It's a reckless attitude. And also, outside the Great Koala National Park, or proposed Great Koala National Park, they tend to go on logging koala hubs. You know, these really important areas they've identified as being the most important areas known of for protection. And they're going to go on logging them. There's about 11,000 hectares on state forests outside the Great Koala National Park, and they're going to go on logging them. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's a, a, a reprehensible decision. 
Uh, we did uh, go and meet with uh, Penny Sharp uh, and put to her, and quite a number of other uh, politicians, the idea of protecting koala hubs, but also protecting, uh, doing pre-logging surveys for koalas and greater gliders and identifying important habitat for them and protecting that, uh, for implementing the uh, EPA's recommendations back in 2016 that we should be retaining somewhere between 15 and 25 koala species per hectare in modelled high-quality, uh, medium and high-quality habitat rather than the current 5 or 10 trees, and also increasing the size of the feed trees from um, their current small size of 20 centimetres diameter uh, to um, over 30 centimetres diameter, which is what all the evidence says koalas prefer. So, so we put a whole suite of options to the government uh, and uh, all they did was adopt the most minimal one they could and that's just retaining uh, a, a limited number of koala hubs and only within the Great Koala National Park. Mm. So people have been asking me, somebody asked me today, what's going on with Penny? <laughs> I was, uh, uh, you know, referring familiarly to our uh, environment minister by her, her, her first name. But, uh, you know, what do you think? What is it? What's going on there? Why, why can't they just bite the bullet or at least, you know, set, gr- grasp the nettle and, 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 and fix this, this ongoing weeping sore of, of, uh, of, of destruction in our forest? Uh, they can. Uh, they can fix it, and they can do it tomorrow. So uh, all they need to do is to direct the Environmental Protection Authority to change the logging rules. Mm. So they're the, um, what they call the protocols under the logging rules, and they uh, they can be changed by the EPA at their discretion. Uh, and so we've got, we presented the evidence of all these various changes they could make immediately that are justified within... Uh, government reports and um, uh, and the EPA's own submissions and their own expert evidence. So uh, where there's substantive evidence uh, of the need for them, uh, we said, what do you think to make this change? Get the EPA to amend the protocols, you can do it tomorrow. So instead of doing that, Penny's getting them to amend the protocols to only protect these minimal areas of um, uh, called koala hubs and only within the, within the Great Climate National Park. So so I don't understand why they're refusing to protect koalas across the landscape, and I don't understand why they're not uh, implementing uh, the meaningful and necessary protection for koalas within the Great Koala National Park. So um, there's something very wrong going on there. The government is just unwilling, and Penny's unwilling, to step up and uh, and, and protect koalas like they promised to, uh, and to or to protect the Great Koala National Park like they promised to. It's... Um, quite disturbing, quite worrying, really, because now they're talking about uh, sometime not until maybe uh, 2025 before they get around to uh, creating the Great Cloud National Park. So in the interim, I have no doubt, unless we can force them to, that Penny has no intent of doing any more than what she's just announced. Good Lord. Well, that's alarming. Um, is there uh, the these uh, there's various court actions in train? Um, do do we do we hope for what do we hope for them? Um, we hope that they will be the circuit breaker we need because it's quite obvious that neither the state nor federal government have any intention of dealing with forests like we need to. I I protect all our public native forests, but at least you know in the interim we've got to protect the habitat of our most. Uh, threatened and endangered species, like, like the greater glider, like the koala, that we know are badly affected by logging, are badly affected by the fires, and are endangered with extinction. You know, we've got 
we'll take some immediate action. And yet, neither government is willing to. So our only hope now is one of our legal cases to be successful, and that hopefully will uh, get the change we need if they're successful, and there's no guarantee they will be. Mm. But there, there's no other avenue aside from uh, people standing up for our forest, direct action, people making it be known, this is not good enough. Uh, uh, that's all we have left. There, there's no doubt there's no political will there on behalf of Penny Sharp or the ALP, um, uh, both, or you know, both state and federal levels to do any more. Yes, uh, does it not um, weigh upon them that they have a, a, a they're in a minority government? Does that not impact on them? Is that not making any uh, change or difference to their behaviour? Um, look, we hope we hope to would. Uh, you know, I, I was uh, extremely hopeful when this government was elected at, at the state level and, and also the federal government as well. That given the Greens have the balance of power in in the uh, upper house in New South Wales, that that would uh, force the New South Wales government to do something better than what they're doing. So, it's just, uh, so I don't understand how, how they're getting away with not doing that. I'm sure the Greens are trying to hold them to account. And there's so a lot of independents. We went and did lobbying of a number of independents, and mm. uh, I was uh, surprised by the amount of enthusiasm and support for ending logging in public native forests. And uh, uh, so we've got a very strong support base there, uh, and, and including amongst some of the ALP members, it's not not been translated into political action. And uh, Penny Sharp has been a, a great disappointment in her unwillingness to use her her power. Uh, you know, we have, to have a, they were elected to protect the Great Cry National Park, and she's just unwilling to use her her power and prestige within the party to um, to get some meaningful changes. You know, look, it's great getting a few koala hubs protected. You know, it's um, they were planning on logging 1,300 hectares this year uh, or over the next 12 months of koala hubs. They already logged about a half a dozen of those. So, you know, the, since Penny was, a, was elected and we had asked her to please save them, but she wouldn't. Um, so they already had logged quite a few of those, but at least some of those have been spared. But that's not what we need, a lot more than that. That's not nearly enough. Mm. Well, um, as you say, I suppose it's um, it's back to the barricades uh, and, um, you know, like a, a, every creative m- measure that we can to peacefully put pressure upon these, uh, uh, the, the, the government to, to begin to act on the, in the community interests. That's, that's the only sort of thing left for the community, isn't it? Uh, yeah, we're going to just, barricades are, are one um, uh, avenue and, you know, o- often a very necessary one, but there's lots of others too. It's just speaking up, you know, getting the word out there, doing creative actions, as you mentioned, in the, in the towns and cities, doing some street theatre. You know, there's lots of things people can do to uh, not let the politicians get away with this and, and that's what we need, you know. Mm. Uh, we can hope for the court cases and we'll probably know within a month or so now um, whether they're successful or not because we've got... All these, uh, we're waiting on all these judgments, both at the state and federal level on the court cases, and once they're made, then we'll know whether that avenue works or not. If it doesn't, then, then that's really our last, uh, last option besides for uh, the political action that we need. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Dylan, thank you for uh, you know for clarifying that for us all today, and uh, you know for all of your ongoing efforts, which uh, you know I know are exhaustive and <laughs> exhausting at times. So, um, you know, thanks again for sharing that with us uh, and and getting us up to speed. Oh, 
no worries. Thanks, Phil. That was Dylan Pugh, the president of the Northeast Forest Alliance, uh, sharing with uh, Environmental as Anything the, uh, the sort of somewhat good news, but really uh, somewhat disappointing outcome where only the, uh, the the small amount of koala hubs which are available in the uh, Great Koala National Park to be protected. The rest of that park is still open for logging and all the other koala hubs in the state also still open for logging. So uh, logging continuing to destroy our koala habitat and uh, our endangered species uh, across this great state of New South Wales. You're tuned into Environmental as Anything. We are going to move on to a, uh, a, a story which I promised earlier. I'm going to uh, play to follow up on Dylan's uh, uh, and uh, and Sandy Greenwood's uh, contribution regarding our New South Wales forest and our North Coast forest. I'm going to play a perspective on forests from Victoria, from Fiona York, from. <laughs> in uh, the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, which is a, a great thrill. I've wanted to be here for a long time. And uh, one of the things that I've uh, wanted to do here was to find somebody who could talk to me about the great uh, progress that's been made here in Victoria about ending native forest logging here in this state. Uh, and the Andrews government uh, made an announcement back in May that uh, they were going to actually uh, end native forest logging here and it's been a long hard fight. So I'm very glad to have uh, Fiona York across the desk from me uh, who's been working with Gecko, the uh, Gungara Environment Centre since uh, 1994 and so has a really good perspective on what's actually happened uh, there here in Victoria and in the Native Forest uh, debate. Thanks for joining Environmental as Anything today, Fiona. Thanks, Sean. What a great title for a show. <laughs> well, I inherited the title. I can't take credit for it, but it does get a few laughs. It's a good one. <laughs> and Gecko, a great title for uh, an organisation. Maybe you could just give us, a, 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 at the upset, uh, at the outset, uh, a bit of an idea of, uh, you know, who Gecko are, and, and, and we'll talk about the, the, the end to native forest logging. Yeah, so Gecko started um, in 1993 and has been basically a kind of um, direct action collective in based in East Gippsland since then, um, and direct action has involved things like blockading, but it's also involved a lot of citizen science, which in recent years has been really effective in saving forests. Um, and, yeah, been doing it for 30 years now, so it's a, been a long fight to get this announcement, so we're pretty happy about it. Yeah, well, let's talk about that announcement because in, in New South Wales, of course, we are still struggling to get the ALP, the MINS government in New South Wales, uh, sitting on their hands and kicking their clay feet uh, about actually doing the right thing in our forests. So, you know, what's the decision here in Victoria and how did you get to that? I think it's a combination of things. Um, two of the main factors, I think, in the decision has been, firstly, the bushfires. Mm. Um, so in 2019-20, um, uh, absolutely catastrophic bushfire came through. I know it hit you guys as well. Um, but basically overnight, in one night, um, the forest from way up on in the mountains all the way down to the coast went up in smoke in a very, very intense fire. Mm. And that was basically the forest estate that was 
planned to be logged. Um, and the reason that it was such an intense fire was because so much of it had been logged. Yep. So it was... Um, a lot of regen, a lot of really, really terrible, skinny, failed regen with lots and lots of silvertop ash all very close together, um, very flammable. Um, and that combined with climate change obviously meant that the intensity of the fires was like nothing had seen before. Whereas back in the day, even in the 90s when we were first starting at Gecko, we had big, wet rainforest gullies all through the forest that mm. actually formed a protective buffer against mm. these sorts of things. Plus, old growth doesn't burn like regen does. Mm. Um, so it really, really impacted on on the forest, um, both ecologically um, and environmentally, but in terms of a resource. Um, so we thought it was over. We actually thought that there's no way they can keep logging after this event has happened, this yep. catastrophic major event. Um, but of course, as if they would stop. Um, so, Since the, when did sense and reason, reason apply yeah, to logging? No, no, no disaster will stop them. Mm. Um, so they basically targeted all of the areas that were unburnt mm. um, and there was something like, I don't know, 30-odd areas, Look, I think you guys call them compartments, we call them coops, where, that were up on the Erinundra Plateau, which was the only place that wasn't burnt. Um, and there was also um, salvage, so-called salvage logging, which is basically bull dosing what has been burnt. Really, really damaging. Um, and the other thing that was happening um, was that they were removing dangerous trees, so-called, after the fire, which meant that they were taking out lots of the big old trees. And this was in the National Park as well, mm. um, that, have, that have been burnt. So it was massively frustrating because all of this was happening under the guise of um, safety. But also, they were just trying to get that last resource mm. before it went. And so, people mobilised again. Mm. Um, and there was um, a forest blockade set up and there was also court cases. And so, that was the second kind of major factor that ended up leading to this decision. Mm. So, yeah, the second major factor was the court cases. Mm. Um, so... I guess in the beginning of forest campaigning that Gecko was doing, we did go to court, but often it was because we were defending ourselves against having been arrested for stopping the forest. So we would run campaigns where we were basically trying to defend ourselves. So we did have a couple of successes with that. Mm. Um, in around 98 or something, um, Bob Brown was arrested and his case ended up getting us all off because they found the logging was illegal. Mm. There was another one at Dingo Creek where that we were using the forest, the Flora and Fauna Guarantee Act to say the logging was illegal. But it wasn't until kind of maybe about 10 years ago that we started to actually sue the government right. instead of the other way around. Mm -hmm. um, and it was never Gecko because Gecko doesn't exist legally, um, but it was other environment groups. So there was um, there was a couple in the Central Highlands, there was the Flora and Fauna um, Collective, there was Environment East Gippsland and King Lake Friends of the Forest, um, Ledbetter's Possum um, people, I can't remember their names now, but all of them basically sued the government for failing to you know, fulfil their environmental obligations under various pieces of legislation. So that's the Victorian government? The Victorian yep. government, mm -hmm. yeah. So some of it was, well, exactly Vic Forest, which is a, a, a government-owned entity which mm. runs the logging. Mm. Um, so as a result of that, it was often based on endangered species protections. So it might be a particular species. So there was the owl case. Oh, yep. um, there was the case around um, greater gliders and yellow belly gliders. Um, and there was also around big tree protection at some time as well. So each time our lawyers would 
kind of comb through the legislation and try to work out the best way to sue them and then we would need an environment group to mount that case and so to have the environment group um, be considered you had to show that you had a connection that you had good standing mm, standing exactly mm. um, and so they ended up being really really successful cases yeah right um, there's been about six of them I think five or six of them and one of them still hasn't had a decision made, and that's the old growth one, mm. which is around the definition of old growth. That's been, I think, about three or four years waiting for a decision, maybe even longer. But those other ones actually resulted in costs being awarded against Vic Forest that were in the millions. Wow. Um, so all of a sudden, here's this government-owned logging agency that is logging um, against the community's wishes no economic basis and is making a massive loss because they keep getting sued by greenies. <laughs> so it just wasn't viable anymore. Right. So with all of that going on, that's been going on for 10 years, that Vic Forest was making huge, huge losses through the court cases and it was all based on citizen science. So gecko volunteers would be out in the bush. They'd be trying to find crayfish in gullies in the middle of the night. They'd be spotlighting for greater gliders. They'd be recording it with GPSs and maps and all of that stuff, um, using remote sensing cameras to try and find long-footed potteroos, um, measuring trees, all of this constantly. And that data would then go into the court cases and the court cases would have um, barriers barristers and lawyers and they would, Vic Forest would just be smashed on these points of law. Mm. Um, mm. And yeah, over a number of years and a number of really big high profile losses, um, it just became like bad for them in the media um, and really bad for their bottom line. Right. Um, so it just wasn't viable. And then all of a sudden these fires come through um, they, they were bound by the wood pulp agreement, which is a piece of legislation that says they must provide a certain amount of wood for wood chipping. Mm. Um, and that was the real problem. But the lawyers again had a look at it mm. and went, hey, you can actually get out of this contract. Force majeure. That's right, force majeure. So all of a sudden there was an out. Um, and only just yesterday they announced that they're on in, on the way to disbanding or deregistering Vic Forests, um, which is an incredible outcome. It's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think there was one silver bullet. I think it's been a long process, um, mm. and I really don't think it would have happened without the disaster that was the fires. Mm. But all of those court cases and all of that citizen science plus the pressure. Mm. Um, so media has been really, really important to draw attention to the issue and building that kind of community um, awareness. I guess Gecko has been a very small kind of environment group, very, very far away from any everywhere, but we were able to kind of pass on our knowledge and skills to other small environment groups and they wanted to protect their backyards. Um, and so the forest that was important to people in little tiny places all over Victoria in the central highlands, in the Strathbogies, in um, central Gippsland and west Gippsland, they all became kind of they saw what could happen mm. with citizen science and some media and some community pressure mm. and they started doing stuff and they started going, hang on a minute, you know, using the same tools and tactics. Um, so I think it was a really big movement-wide thing and, mm. you know, 40 years in the making, really. I mean, it's funny to reflect when we were doing the regional forest agreements um, 
East Gippsland was one, of the, I think, the first one to be signed. Mm. And I remember NEFA working really, really hard to get good outcomes. And we were kind of looking to you guys. I think you went through a three-year process. Yep. And we were like, wow, they're getting outcomes with this process that we are never going to get because mm. we just got ours signed and we were completely screwed from that moment on, mm. um, where mm. it was a really different process for you guys. So... Yeah, it was a big fight, but at the end of the day, the the RFAs have been absolutely disastrous. Uh, even with all of those uh, those what seemed like victories at the, on the t- on the mm-hmm. day, so um, and the RFAs have excluded us uh, from you know like the, the excluded forestry from all of the uh, the federal environment uh, protection yep. biodiversity conservation act, you know, uh, etc. And so that's uh, that's it's been utterly disastrous. So, but it strikes me it, it's there are lots of similarities. It sounds like you know like citizen science. Uh, direct action in the forest, court action, these are things that we're both, we're all doing yeah. and or as best we can. Sounds like uh, Vic Forests have got a bit of a different uh, setup, perhaps than uh, New South Wales Forest Corps, which uh, are, you know, like seems to be basically exempt from the law. It seems like you actually can gain standing to, to take them on on endangered species issues here in Victoria. So that might be a difference that mm. can be highlighted. But what I think... Um, I wonder. One of the things I wonder about is what about the, the 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 politics of dealing with the ALP? Has there been some breakthroughs there? Have there been people within the Victorian ALP or within the union movement or anywhere with that you've been able to actually access uh, to talk to to get on side to who's seen the sense of the argument aside from all of those other yeah. compelling reasons? Yeah, I think. The unions are really important um, and working with them has been really um, an important strategy, bringing that kind of worker perspective. I guess one of the things that we always found really frustrating was that um, the wood chipping, export wood chipping industry was also destroying local jobs. Mm. There was nothing in it for anyone. We were talking about resource that was getting exported overseas for really poor outcomes for workers as well as the environment. But to get the CFMEU to actually say that was really, really hard, Mm. even though on the ground they may be agreeing or people in the mills may be agreeing, politically they wouldn't do it. Mm. Um, And I think that has been a real problem and there's been a couple of people high up in that union that have just been bloody-minded about it for years, Mm. even though they know damn well it hasn't been great for them either. Mm. Um, But, yeah, the the government bought one of the mills to keep them happy, bought the Hayfield Mill. Um, And, and, you know, they they definitely were trying to do... And they packages constantly for the workers. So I think all of that stuff is really important, but there's other workers that are impacted too, not just just, just people in the logging industry. So if you think about all of the caring industries that there are, all of the environmental restoration industries, they're all unions as well. Mm. Um, so I think working with unions broadly is a really important thing and just remembering that all of workers need to have solidarity mm. um, and we need to be looking at the fact that regional communities are getting screwed by multinational corporations we have we've all got this in common and how do we work together so i think building solidarity and connections with the union movement is really really important um, but i don't know if that was a factor necessarily in this decision mm. although i'd love to say that it was <laughs> <laughs> but i think in terms of long-term strategies absolutely yeah and so at the end of the day the uh, did it come as a surprise when dan andrews said like or the, the i don't even know the name of the minister to excuse my ignorance but uh, they they announced okay it's over we were shocked yeah 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 yeah, we were really shocked um and in disbelief and it was actually really bittersweet Mm. um because i guess for a lot of us we've seen so much loss 
um, and it's loss of people and loss of forest. And it it was it was it, I mean I cried all the way home when I heard. Everybody was really emotional, um, and I guess we're still a bit in shock, but we're also aware that nothing is as it seems, and we're now really conscious of how they're going to keep doing business as usual under a different guise of forest, I mean, fire management or mm. some other type of thing. So we're definitely vigilant because we've seen it happen so many times before. Mm. I mean, the department used to be called the DNRE, Department of, no, DCNR, Department of Constant Name Review. <laughs> and so we want to make sure that Vic Forest isn't disbanded and replaced with something equally as dodgy. Mm. Well, it would be hard to find something equally as dodgy, wouldn't it? But, uh, but you know, then again, they're very good at uh, coming up with dodgy schemes. So uh, you, you, know, never know. <laughs> you never know. Right. Well, look, uh, that's um, amazing and inspiring. And, um, you know, obviously we'll want to, uh, you know, delve into some of the details of that as, you know, like as up north and try to replicate your success. Mm. Well, um, I should also mention we also spoke to WA uh, because they had their announcement under a Labor government too mm. before we did. Mm. So learning from what happened in WA and now Victoria and then keeping the pressure on for New South Wales and Tassie and that, like you say, why the hell is logging exempt from the federal environment laws. What is going on there? Mm. The regional forest agreements have been a disaster for the entire country mm. and we need to address them collectively as an entire country mm. that cares about forests and protecting forests as part of a climate response. So, mm. yeah, I think there's still heaps that we need to be doing. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, there's so much work to be done, but, uh, you know, it, we've got to take our victories where we find them, don't we? Yeah. Um, but, um, look, so speaking of uh, celebrating our victories, uh, Gecko's been at it for 30 years this mm -hmm. year. That's a, that's a huge anniversary for, uh, for Gecko, and it's a huge anniversary for the forest movement in general. I've been involved since way back then, and I can remember Gecko being a mainstay of the movement while I was in the southeast forest and when I've been in the northeast forest. So, so tell us a bit more. Tell us a bit more about, uh, you know, Gecko and uh, what, what's, what's planned for uh, these celebrations. It's two big momentous events, the end yeah. of Native Forest Logging and 30 years of Gecko. Yeah, well, we didn't think they'd coincide. So the fact that they've coincided is just, oh, my God, stars have aligned. We're going to have a big party. Um, so, yeah, that's our plans at the moment. We're in the process of organising a big celebration in December, the 1st to the 3rd of December, um, and we want everyone that's ever been to Gecko to come down or up. Um, and that's literally thousands of people, which I don't think is going to happen, but it will be nice to see a few hundred. Um, and, yeah, so we're going to have some bands. We're going to obviously see the forest um, and, yeah, just, just celebrate mm. and also commemorate and remember our comrades that we've lost as well. Um, mm. There's been lots of people that have died over the time as well, so we're definitely going to be taking our hats off to them. Um, mm. So far, we've counted 28 people. Yeah. Um, so that's a really important part of, of the memory as well. So the wins and the losses. And, yeah, so we're going to have a party. Everyone's invited. Come on. Come on down. Yeah. Yep, and so it'll all be it'll all on the uh, the Gecko uh, website, isn't it? Gecko.org.au. Yeah. And uh, people can uh, can book themselves in and come down. And even if they weren't there, I imagine that they'll be still get the welcome mat yeah. rolled out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on down. Bring your kids. Bring what? Bring whoever you like. Yeah. Come on down. Um, it's going to be camping. There's a property behind. Um, I shouldn't say where it is because the police have been sniffing around. There's a property that we'll be going on, um, and that will be a that will be where the event is held. There's nice camp at the campground. There's a beautiful river that runs through the town. Um, you can go up to the Erinundra Plateau and see the beautiful old growth up there. So, 
yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm actually really keen. I'm, I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to be there for that because it awesome. uh, sounds like a really great uh, weekend out and a great opportunity to see some forests that I've long wanted to see and yeah. to meet up with a bunch of my old mates who were... Uh, I was never involved in the Victorian campaigns, but I was just across the border in New South Wales while yeah. it was all going on doing my doing that up there. So uh, there are a lot of the same people crossed over from one to the other. It would yeah. be good back to get back together with yeah. all of them. Yeah, it was historically a big connection between the South East New South Wales and because we had the common enemy of the export, the wood, wood shipping chip. mill, yeah. 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 Um, and that whole concept of bioregions was big back in the day. So the arbitrary border of the states didn't really matter. We were talking about the same forest and talking mm. about the same problem. So mm. absolutely, the southeast forest people were, were awesome. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, thanks, Fiona. Thanks for your time today. I know you're flat out busy uh, recording all of the details from this. Maybe we'll be able to get some more yeah. uh, uh, interviews from you that we can keep playing and uh, keep people up to speed with the story of Gecko as those months uh, approach. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to share. Thank yep. you. Thanks. to another episode of the Environmental As Anything podcast. Uh, I'll be bringing them to you as regularly as I can. If you'd like to tune in to more of this kind of uh, material, uh, there's plenty of episodes available. You can subscribe to our podcast, and while you're there, you might as well rate it and help uh, spread the word by sharing it on social media if you can. We're on social media, of course, on Facebook particularly. You can find us anywhere you look for environmental as anything. And if you're really keen to see the show carry on, please do go and support us on Patreon. Again, you can find us by just searching environmental as anything Patreon. Thank you for your support. Be gentle with yourselves. Be kind to each other. And remember, we are all in this together. Uh -huh.